Chosen today that, you know, I've never seen these things going on. You know, these are things that no eye has seen. I have never seen as a pastor what I'm seeing right now. I want you to see what happened in the past couple of days. Saturday, we were on the west side, and we went out and gave out back-to-school supplies there. That was, I believe, the largest turnout. Then Monday, I went preaching at the, uh, the, the Chicago and State location, I've never seen more people out there preaching, and here's something that stood out to me. I've never seen more men. The men that were out there, I was perma-smile. Then you have the Wednesday back-to-school bash. Is this the Wednesday one? This is the Wednesday back-to-school bash. And then you have the Friday youth back-to-school bash. This has never happened in our church's history. You put that with Lollapalooza, and I will say, and everybody look up at me, I will say to every hater, I will say to every debater, and every person that questions us, Satan, get behind me. I'm not even speaking to you, Peter. I'm speaking to Satan. Loose this city and let it go. That's what I came to do. My battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness that have come to distract us and detour us from what has never been done in the history of this church. When I was out there Monday night and I saw those men of God preaching, I said, if I died right now and went to heaven, I could say I've seen revival. These men, I mean, I was proud to see um, Laura out there with the baby. There was a, there was a woman, in a, and I think Ariel ended up coming out there as well. But these men, I have never seen more men in this church on fire for God than I see right now. Can we give it up for the men that are in this place? The devil doesn't want to see the authority upon these men's lives. Because when the men get the authority of God, listen to me and don't get scared, but dominion and conquering follows next. Woo! Come on, somebody. When the men of God know their place, the very next thing you see happening is dominion and conquering. I pray blessings over every person that participated this week. Male, female, young, and old alike. Thank you so much for showing. Go back to the King's Kids one, please. And Andrew, back. let's give it up for him because he did so much work for that climbing wall and all of the drawings that, uh, you know, the things out there that brought in these young people. These people, I want you to keep this up here right here. Many of these that had came, I bet you thought we were crazy during COVID. They probably heard about us during that time. I bet you they might have heard a rumor or two about us during the time of the BLM. And we were telling them all during that time, we were saying our battle is not against you as a community. When some of them came out and said, oh, you, you killed grandma, I said, that's impossible. We just got here. What are you talking about? Grandma's been around for a long time, you know? And they said, oh, you just killed grandma. Well, no, we didn't. But we wanted to have church so that grandma might know Jesus. Because here's, here's something, friends, that many people don't know. Grandma's dying anyways. 
Is grandma ready to meet Jesus? You're going to die. Amen. I I mean, come on. It's not that you want it, but can I hear an amen? We want to live, but it's true. We're all going to die. And I look at these beautiful children that were out there, and I said, Nancy, how many do you think came from the community? She said, oh, many, many, many. Devil, you're a liar. You tried to keep us from this community. They knew during that time that that it was fear that was holding them back. And now they can see it was never us. We were never against them. We were never against diversity and long. We were never against the schools that were here or the mothers and the family. We've been standing with them this whole time. Amen. And I think about the same thing on the west side, trying to convince us that we're a racist church. (laughs) Trying to convince us that we're a racist church, that we don't care about black lives. Black lives mattered to us before the thing with George Floyd, and they matter to us afterward. But what they haven't told you on the news, which we have talked about here, is since the riots of George Floyd, violence has gone up in the last two years along with murders. And when I was there on the west side, I looked at TJ and I said, TJ, where are these corner stores? It didn't even occur to me. Corner store empty, corner store abandoned, corner store empty. And he said, Pastor, that's from the riots. They haven't come back yet. And here we are back in the hood, and it's all good in Jesus' name. Amen. We here, we here. But where's the rioters? Where's the ones who tore it down? See, we're there to build back up the community. I went out and I shook two pastors' hands. Praise God that we're working in that community. God set it up. I said, Brother TJ, let's walk around and pray for this neighborhood. And I saw a pastor out there in his work clothes. And I said, oh, you must be the pastor. Because I know pastors on Saturday work clothes. You know, a man on Saturday and work clothes at the church, that must be the pastor. I said, you must be the pastor. He said, yeah, you're right. I'm cleaning up. I'm getting it ready. And I said, man of God, What's going on out here? And he said, I just came to this community a few years ago. He said, but they need Jesus. He said, it's been so broken over here. I said, my brother told me that these stores have been shut down since the riot. Is that true? He said, oh, yeah, the riot did nothing but harm for this community. I said, brother, we're right out there, right out there in the park. Can you come out and join us? And he said, I'll try if I can. And then we went down and we met another pastor and heard the same testimony. He's only been there a few years. The turnover rate in that community must be a high turnover rate. I said, brother, I've been here for almost 15 years now. You see, God knows what he's doing, and he's going to try to push back. Uh, excuse me, the devil knows what God is doing, and the devil's going to try to stop you and to stop us from what, he's got, what God's got planned. But when the devil's messing, that means God is blessing. Amen? Praise God. I'm just so pumped for that. So thank you for doing that. Satan, get behind us. We've got a community to win. We've got a city to win. And let me just say this one one more time here to everybody, that when you are in your calling and you are in the perfect will of God, you can always expect two things to be there with you, revival and riots. You can always expect revival and riots. It doesn't matter if you just got on fire this week and you go home to your family. There are going to be some family members that are going to say, I have never felt what I'm feeling when you're talking right now. Tears are going to be streaming down their eyes. And then there's going to be others saying, we don't ever want you to come back to the barbecue. 
Have you seen that before? And so just understand, we're not a superstitious people, but we're a wise people, and we're not unaware of the devil's schemes. From Lala to Palooza, uh, you know, from the skateboarding alternative crowd, you know, from Lala Palooza to the west side, to our community here, to all over the city, God is doing something great. Jump on in and get into the revival, and don't let the riot stop you. Amen? Amen. Go with me to John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12, somebody say, light of the world. Amen. Jesus is the light of the world. I am encouraged today to read this passage to you because I see that Jesus is shining his light through you. Let your light continue to shine as Christ shines in you. I don't have the ability to read it all through and then comment on it. I can only comment on it as I read verse by verse because otherwise it will take too long. But I encourage you uh, because oftentimes you only hear it with me stopping, you know, uh, reading, stopping, reading, stopping. Read it on your own in its entirety. Listen to the audio Bible as well, which I do on the way here, and you'll get the whole context. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. What did he say? I am the light of the world. Amen. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, a light of life. Let's go to John 1, 4, please. Do you remember Jesus being called that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In Him was what? Life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the what? The darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Have you ever wondered why there's so much darkness around you? It's because you're the lamppost that God put there to light it up. I mean, you could just imagine one light post trying to talk to another. Hey, man, why are you way over there? Well, I'm way over there because you're there. And if they put us all together, we couldn't light up the block. Come on, sometimes we feel alone in the body of Christ because we're wondering, why is the next Christian way over there? Or why was the last revival way over there? Or why was the last move of God when over there? But God is saying, I'm placing you here now to be the light in the darkness. The darkness should not be abnormal to us. It should be the reason why the light is there. Do you turn on the light in the day? No, you turn on the light at night. Why is God shining his light so bright in these last days? Because the darkness is growing darker. Go with me to Revelation or Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, please. It's getting so dark out here, my friends. We need the light of Jesus. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine. In the book of Romans, we hear about the depravity of mankind. And I have to say, my friends, I always wondered what it would look like, but I am now seeing it. I remember John MacArthur saying the same thing, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And when John MacArthur said it, it just hit me, and I'm like, I've been thinking the same thing. And that is when I would read the Bible, and I would hear about a culture that had become reprobate or turned against God, I wondered what would that look like? The Roman pagans serving their false gods, all the debauchery going on in public, the world leaders being the most immoral, not the standard of example. And I have to be honest with you, even living in New Orleans and seeing Bourbon Street, I still didn't get a full revelation of it until now in this culture. 
we now have in this culture assimilated to the darkness and the deepest depths of man's depravity that has ever been on this planet. We are now rivaling. We are now at odds with taking the first place of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Sodom and Gomorrah, if you think about it, was just a location in the desert. What has now become Sodom and Gomorrah is nations and countries and people groups all over the globe. When you had the time of Rome or these different world empires, you had them at least uh, pointing towards a higher power. You now have people denying that there's even a God. I mean, if you make your emperor God, that's wicked. But then when you say there are no powers above us, we are only our own authority, you're not even afraid of an emperor anymore. You'll do whatever you want to do. And when you talk about them sacrificing their children to their false gods, whether it was in South America or in the Middle East, at the Baal and so forth and so on, or the Spartans throwing out the ones that were handicapped, I mean, it cannot even compare to the rate of abortion. But here's the thing. Everybody see this. Everybody see this great wickedness. It is not just that they do it. It is that they defend it and they approve of it. That is the part that has never, never been on this planet as it is right now. The approval of it. There has always been the fringe that was going on. And, and the idea that we have to appease our God, so sacrifice your children. But to get to the point of abortion where you do it for the mere convenience and then you get upset because you can't murder your own child for your own convenience sake is even a greater wickedness than those sacrificing their children to Molech. Because now you are living without any boundary. A false god provided some kind of a boundary. A false religion could, you know, provided some kind of a boundary. Now you have people denying that there are any boundaries at all. No boundary to king, to country, no boundary to God or religion, no boundary to your fellow man. You're looking at a generation that has its own mind governing its morality. And when a generation decides that there is no authority above them, that it's only what their mind can conceive, you now are on the trip to damnation. Because what will the mind conceive when it's unhindered? What will it conceive? And I want to make sure that I stay somewhat PG-13 here. But what happens at the gay pride fest has even made the homosexual community blush. There are even those in the homosexual community that say, please don't bring out those things. Please don't do that in public. I don't want to even see that. And what is now happening in the transgender community is now even making people who are transgender say, please don't do that to the children. If an adult wants to choose to do that, let that be the adult's choice. But transgenders are even saying, don't do it to the children. 
the insanity that we are in right now. Now notice this. We read a scripture that has the answer. But even for many of us here, it goes right over our head. Let me give you an example. How many times have you heard Jesus' words? He who is a wise man is a wise man is he who hears my words and puts them into practice. That wise man is like a person who built their house on the rock. How many have ever heard that before? And you've heard it many times. Do you know that that is the foundation for everything you'll ever do in life? Why does science work? Because in the beginning was the word, the logic of God. Because God exists as a mind, you have a mind, and we discover laws. Why do relationships need to have the, uh, the common code of do unto others as you want done unto you? It's because the bedrock is in the, in the culture and the, uh, in the, the character of Christ. Because Christ is kind. Christ is loving, right? And so we hear this idea that, that Jesus is the rock, and we don't know how to apply it to our culture. It goes right over our head. And here's another one that, dear Christian, I feel so many of us have lost. Jesus is the light of the world. And it's okay, that's just a little Sunday school song or that's something that we just talk about to make ourselves feel better. No, get this. Without Christ in your conscience, there is no light. There is only darkness. This is now why we are in the place that we are in because a backslider, according to the scripture, someone who once knew God is always worse as a sinner now than the one who never knew God. According to scripture, Israel was worse than the pagan nations. Why? Well, they both sacrificed children to Molech. They both did it. But why was Israel always considered worse? Because Israel knew better. Because the knowing better makes it worse. That's why the Bible says if you're set free and delivered and demons leave your house, and that talks about your soul, you need to make sure you stay in the things of God and keep your house full of God because if the devil comes back and finds that place empty, it will come back seven times worse. Isn't that what the Bible says? And so according to the Scripture, the backslider is always worse than your average sinner. Because they know more, and they're going to be held responsible for more. That is why in the United States of America, it is worse here. It is worse here because we once were a Christian nation. We, as a Christian nation, backslid and then used our freedoms of speech and freedoms of liberty that no other nation had the way we have it and still to this day, and then used it to promote all that you are now seeing around the world. When it came to the perverse lifestyle of LGBT and all of that, what culture promoted it more than any other culture in the world? We did, right here, United States of America. When it came to abortion, yes, China did it and limited their children to only one per family. And people there, many of them hated it, resisted it. Abortion to them was a curse. But what culture made abortion a right and a blessing? Things that you wanted. United States of America. What nation has given their people the right to bear arms to protect themselves and yet has used that, that same ability that gave them the, the, the courage and the, and the ability to conquer their conquerors by defeating their uh, oppressors, the, the people of Britain, what now have they done with these freedoms to bear arms? Turn them on each other. 
And so now there is no nation on the earth quite like the United States of America, as wicked as it has become. Yes, there's some places in Europe that boast about their abortions, and then there's some other places and in, in, in over here where guns are turned on their own you know, and then there's maybe a place over here where they, they glorify in their sin. But to have it all together in such a unique way, why is that? Go back to the beginning of the founding of this nation. Whether they all were Christian or not is not my debate. It's that there were Christians here and they had a voice. And when it came to setting slaves free, they went to war to protect that voice. And when it came to doing these marvelous things of technology to be able to go overseas in World War I and II and to develop a culture that could be sustained in a government that would allow people to come up from any uh, you know, background, the United States of America was blessed because of that. Can I hear an amen? That's why you're here, isn't it? I mean, this is one of the only nations you can leave whenever you want. So you could pick whatever nation you want. If I didn't like America, I could go move right now to Iran if I wanted to. I could go move right now to Central America if I want to. We're still the nation that people want to move to the most. But get this, why are we now so wicked? Because what used to be known as our Bible Belt has now gone away. What used to be known as revival preaching has now gone away. And because the head is sick, so is the body. Because the churches that once used to lead abolition against slavery, once used to lead the woman's suffrage, that once used to lead the civil rights, that that once used to lead the businesses and didn't have corrupt capitalism, but had generous business owners, that which was once led by Christians, YMCA, the the Red Cross and uh, Salvation Army, these charities that have been known around the world, lost their foundation. And so what is happening? This is what's happening right here. The light of Christ has been exchanged for darkness. The wrath of God, Paul said, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Here we see that everyone has a conscience that has some light in it. Going back to John chapter 1, his life that he gives us, John chapter 1, please, his life that he gives us is the light of how much of mankind? All mankind, sinner and saint alike, are born with a life. That means they're alive, therefore they have a light. And what do I believe that refers to? The light of their conscience. So even though we may be born fallen in Adam, rightful sinners deserving of God's wrath, we still have a light to our conscience to know these things. Going back to Romans, it says they know these things. The people know these things, but they suppress them. Please highlight suppress the truth. They suppress it. Like holding down a water, uh, holding down a basketball in the water. It wants to go up, so you have to force it to stay down. They know that the knowledge of God is drawing them to the morals of the Bible. They know that the knowledge of God is drawing them to the things of the Bible, but they are suppressing it. And so the more you know about it, to now suppress it, the more you have to push it down. 
If I'm living in an unreached people groups, an unreached people group in the say 1200s, I probably only have about a, you know, a golf ball size of the knowledge of God. I know he's my creator. I know that he made me. I know that he doesn't want me to kill my neighbor. And I know there's one of him and I need to worship him. Okay. Can I hear an amen? That's what you would know. You would know that. Okay. You would know that. And so if you would go against that, you would be suppressing and trying to hold down the equivalent of a tennis ball. Because that would actually work in, a, you know, in the water. If I had size of a golf ball, it would just drop. But you get, if I tried to hold a tennis ball underwater, does everybody get that? It's going gonna, it's gonna to have a little bit of pressure coming back up. How much do you think America is pushing down right now? You think America is pushing down a tennis ball size of the knowledge of God? A basketball size? No, it's a beach ball. <laughs> Try to hold down a beach ball. Right? That's a whole nother thing. I don't care how strong you are. You try to hold down a beach ball, that's going to take some work. Because there's a lot of circumference. And the laws of physics work a certain way that the bigger that circumference is, the more you try to push it down, the harder it's going to be. And that's why America looks the way that it looks. We have lost the light of Christ. And yet, here we are as Christians. What are we going to do about it? We need to get our shine on. Amen? I don't have time to read all of that, but please take time if you want to learn more about the reprobation going on. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Something so interesting is that Jesus, when he's describing himself to the Jews, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever's in me will never be in darkness. And when we're reading in the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. You are the light of the what? The world. Hallelujah. You and I are the light of the world. I thank God today that there are Christians in China because they're the light of China. I thank God that there's Christians on the continent of Africa because they are the light of God there. I am glad today that there are Christians joined together at 5405 West Diversity because the light of God is shining. Woo! Come on, somebody. I get excited when I hear that. You are the light of the world. So does the light stop when Christ returns to heaven? No. The promise of Jesus in this teaching in Matthew is that what Christ was doing upon the earth would remain in his disciples. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So stop trying to hide your testimony. If you have a real one, it's going to come out no matter what. Amen? Just start to let it out. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. See, everyone in the house gets a benefit from that light. In the same way, somebody say in the same way. Thank you. Let your light shine before others. Now, here's how we do it. It's not just because we come to church and worship. It's not just because we go to conferences that they may see your what? Good deeds. See, the deeds of a Christian are the light in a dark world and glorify your Father in heaven. Going back to John now, please. 
Notice this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That's what he also calls us. He says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That which is a seed form in the conscience of people grows into the full light of day when they are born again, made into the image of Jesus, and now that light is there to shine through them to the world. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. And that light goes from glory to glory to glory. Amen? Come on. Somebody say from glory to glory. Amen. It doesn't go from glory to gory. That's what a backslider is. You have glory and then you have gore of your sin, the goriness of your sin. It says the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. It goes from glory to glory to glory. The Bible talks about the heavens declare a certain glory of God. Do they not? Isn't that beautiful when that sun comes up? When it comes up and you start to see the glory of the sun and then it continues to shine until that full light of day, you were made for glory. You were made for light, and you were made to shine that light everywhere you go. You and I were not made for darkness, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Everybody look up at me, please. They do not know what makes them stumble. I'm going to say that again. I hear my heart today. They do not know what makes them stumble. They think we're their problem. They think the Christian church is the problem. Those who deal with the LGBT, all of that, they think if they could stop the church from preaching against it, they would stop wanting to kill themselves because their suicide rate is so much higher than all the population, transgender being the highest. But same with the gay, the lesbian, they still have a higher suicide rate than the heterosexual cis male or cis woman, female. They think if they can stop you from preaching, then they'll stop the insanity in their mind. They think that your preaching is the reason why they want to kill themselves. And yet our culture has never been more accepting of that debaucherous lifestyle than it is now. And it has done nothing for their suicide rates. Even to the point they stand before our Congress and say that us calling it a sin is violence because it leads to their suicide. No, my friend, you need a teaching on suicide as well. Suicide is self-murder, self-murder, and they murder themselves out of their own anger and hatred of themselves. No one ever committed suicide who loved themselves as God loved them. What about the uh, problems of life, the chemical imbalances, uh, uh, the, the brain deformation, uh, you know, the, de- the degradation of the mind like Dr. Amen has talked about in his TED Talks with over, I believe, a quarter million brain scans. No one denies any of these things here. But for your solution to murder yourself, you don't love yourself as God loves you. Because God sees you in his image even though you may not see yourself. God loves the handicapped. God loves the crippled. God loves the mentally challenged. They are all special and precious in his sight. Anyone here dealing with depression? No, this suicide is not the answer. It will only increase your pain for eternity in hell and the pain of those you leave. It is sin. But hear my heart today. God can meet you in the depths of mental anguish. 
I'm not saying one prayer makes it all go away. Even in your deepest pit of mental anguish, hear me today. The light of Christ will meet you there. And if all you can hear of Christ today is me speaking to you, then hear this. Hold on. Hold on. Because you are valuable. Can I hear an amen? The suicide rate among those in this culture not only is of the LGBT. You hear Patty, the UFC fighter, weeping after having a victory, calling out to men and young men, share your problems, talk to others. Suicide is not the answer. Suicide has become an epidemic in our culture. Why? They don't know what makes them stumble. They deal with existential angst. Existential angst is answered in Jesus Christ. That's why Tina, when she was up here today, was not just a fanatical prayer person that the religious world accepts as she does her little song and dance. What Tina was doing, birth in the Holy Spirit, was solving the problem of existential angst. Still, suicide rates are highest among people like myself, so let me talk about it. The white privileged, middle class, middle-aged have everything that others say that they want a piece of now. Well, if we just had the money like the white guy, we would be happy. Look at the white guy. Hello? Well, if I just was the CEO like the white guy, and if I had the power like the white guy, and if I had the privilege like the middle class white guy, look at their suicide rate. It's not working for him. So let me tell you, because I know them, and I am one. When your body changes, and this hair becomes gray, and you look at yourself in the mirror, those who were once high achievers now face an angst of disappointment for that which they have not accomplished in their life. No matter how successful they are, they look at themselves and say, I wish I had done more. I wish I had accomplished more in this time of my life, in that season of my life, in this area of my life. And by the time they're my age, 45 to 65, they begin to look at their bank account and say, there's not enough there to make it go away. And if I had it, probably wouldn't change anything. And I'm already on my second marriage and half of my kids don't even like me. And golf has gotten boring. I already became a doctor. I fly planes on the weekend for fun. And there's no bravery in going on. Goodbye. You should read the suicide letter of a middle-aged man. Sounds like a whiny child. Didn't get what they wanted out of life. Just to ease everybody's burden, they're going to take their toy and go home. The devil's a liar. They don't know what makes them stumble. Listen to me, sir. Listen to me, middle-aged man. You were meant for more than to retire in the Del Webb community by the beach and pick up seashells with your third lover. You were meant for more than to pass on your barbecue recipes to your children's children and take them on the pontoon over the weekends. You were made for the glory of God. You were meant to shine the light of Christ. Don't retire. Get saved, born again, and refire for Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Be like my 70-year-old father who now has adopted the slogan in his retirement village, Ocala for Jesus. If I'm here, I might as well win souls and plunder hell and populate heaven. Take as many as I can with me because that will put a pep in your step and that will turn your frown upside down. Can I get an amen? And don't get me talking about desperate housewives. Hello. You know what they're like. You've seen the TV show or at least heard of it. They have everything the world can offer and still they want more. And when they can't get enough, they want to get drugged up so that they just feel good. I live next to a woman that probably drank a box of wine every other day. Every time I saw her, there was wine in the cup, no matter what time it was. And certainly she looked desperate. Are you listening to me? A young man can see a desperate cougar when he sees one, when he meets one. Hello. I don't know how she lived her life, but she definitely was desperate looking. You know why? Because she didn't know the purpose of life. It's not just for your pleasure, your eclairs. It's not just for you to feel good about yourself when you dress up and have a nice convertible to drive to the Starbucks in. You were made for glory, sister. You were made to be a mother of Zion. You were made to be in the battle of God. And for such a time as this, the Esters are meant to rise up and save their people. That's what the women of God are to be, not desperate housewives. But listen, they have the TV shows and they don't know what makes them stumble. They literally have a show about it. We put on a display. We put on display almost like clowns at the circus and we watch them destroy their lives. We kept up with the genders until the man became a woman. We've watched the insanity of their lives. And we still don't know what makes us stumble because we're in darkness. But Jesus is offering us the light, is he not? Go with me to verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him in John chapter 8. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. See, Jesus could swear by himself, just like God did in the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 22, verse 15. When God made a promise to Abraham, he swore by himself. The Jews were looking for him to call upon other prophets or other witnesses to affirm what he is and who he is. Now remember, he had that as John the Baptist, but he will not produce it on demand for these sassy skeptics. If you have a healthy question about Jesus, we will answer you. But if you come to us in sass, we will answer you according to your folly to shut you down. But if they were paying attention, he already had a witness on earth, John the Baptist, did he not? Amen? Was John the Baptist a good witness? A forerunner, amen? Okay, so it's already been established. Jesus will keep the law, but he's not going to produce an evidence for a sassy skeptic so that they now can be in charge. He doesn't owe them that. But notice here, when the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. 
that because you have done this and not have withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Do we not know that the example of Abraham sacrificing or about to sacrifice Isaac, father and son, we are now seeing in front of us right here, the only begotten son of Jesus acting like his father because he's going to be sacrificed for his father. Amen? His father can swear by himself. He can swear by himself. He'll be offered just like how Abraham offered his son. And the difference is here, the father uh, of the father God will go all the way and allow his son to be sacrificed. Going back to John, Jesus says that, you know what? I can testify on myself, and I can do that because I know where I came from. This evidence throughout the book of John shows us that Jesus had a pre-incarnation. It's easily seen here, a little bit more difficult in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but you can see it clearly here. He came from somewhere. He is an alien to this planet, and yet he is like us, living among us, fully God and fully man. Now, notice what he says next. I pass judgment on no one. Or verse 15, you judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. In other words, I'm not going to do what I did to Sodom and Gomorrah right now. I am not here for that. He will tell you the kind of judgment he will do on earth and the kind he'll do later. But right now he's saying, you guys are judging wrongly. And we've already had a message on that before where the Bible says in the book of John chapter 7, make a righteous judgment. Everybody say a righteous judgment. Thank you, not just by mere appearances. He says, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, now he's going to tell you about his judgment, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with who? The Father, thank you, who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Now, do you remember when we got into the beginning of the book of John, chapter 1, we talked about this air called modalism, also known as sabellianism, oneness, Pentecostalism. Anybody remember this? And that they say that God is the Father who also appears as the Son and as the Holy Spirit. One person having three different modes, hence the name modalism. Sabellianists in the early church is one of the promoters of this, hence it being called Sabellianism. Oneness Pentecostals has adopted it after the 1900s. So those are the most popular modalists slash sabellianists. But remember when I showed you that that could not be referring to Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, that John chapter 1 could not be referring to Jesus as the Father because in John 1.18, if we could look at it quickly, please, says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is his closest relationship to the Father has made him known. Does everybody remember that? So I said to you very clearly there, Jesus could not be the person of the Father, otherwise you would have a contradiction. And so the contradiction is cleared up. No one has ever seen God. What is the person of God they have never seen? The Father. Come on, I got one, one, one person help me out. The, the person of God they have never seen is who? The Father. But the person of God they have seen is who? The Son. Read it again with me together. One, two, three. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So the one that we have never seen must be who? And the one that is God that we have seen must be who? The Son. Now, that disproved them first chapter of John. 
but now you want even more clear evidence? Go back to John chapter 8. I am a witness, and my Father is a witness. They are not the same person. Do you think a schizophrenic person can be a witness for themselves on the stand? And now you're going to talk to Bob. No. Go get some crazy dude up there. Now you're going to talk to the next personality of me. No. Jesus is not saying, now you're going to talk to the person of me that I like to call the Father. Everybody get ready. He's coming out now, and you're looking at the same guy. No, no, he's not shape-shifting either. Jesus is one person. He exists in his own personality. The Father is another person in his own personality, and the Holy Spirit is another person in his own personality, and they share the nature of God. Just like you have a personality and I have a personality, but we have the same nature of humans. The difference between us and God is we do not share the identical same nature. The Father, Son, and Spirit share the identical same nature. And thank God you don't share my nature. Amen? I'm a little bit weird. But they share the identical same God nature. So notice Jesus is explaining to them, I'm not the Father, but I'm just like the Father. I can swear by myself. But guess what? If I need a witness, the Father will come and be my witness. They're getting the theology of the Trinity right there in front of them. Now you look, and it says in verse 19, they then asked him, where is your Father? Have you guys been paying attention? (laughs) Even the disciples are going to ask this later on, aren't they? Show us the Father. And, And Jesus is like, you're just missing the point over and over and over again. He is not the Father. God is the Father, the God the Father. He's God the Son. And yet when you see him, you'll see everything the Father is like. That's why I said they share the identical same nature. You and I are separate persons, but we don't share the identical same nature. If you've seen me, you have not seen one. If you've seen one, you have not seen me. But we do share nature, the human nature. Can I hear an amen? But if you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son in nature because it's identical, even though they're different persons. Now, notice here, Jesus says, you do not know me or my Father. This goes back to the confusion that they have had from the very beginning. Why don't they get this? It's because they don't know God. That's the whole point. Those who have known God prior to Jesus coming will now understand who Jesus is. Those who didn't know God but were simply religious will now stumble over Jesus. Jesus and expose that they never had a relationship with God, only religion. You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. That's why we went to John 1.18. Now verse 20, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Verse 21, once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me. You will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. How many know he's making judgments there? You will die in your sin. Why? Because he knows that they're not accepting him. So if he's the only means of salvation and they're not accepting him, his judgment is true. Now, notice what they say in verse 22. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Notice they could not be more further from the truth. You know, Jesus says, be born again. Nicodemus says, how do I go back up into my mother's womb? That's not a good day for either of us, okay? And then now here, he's, he's like, I'm going to a place you can't come. You're going to kill yourself, Jesus? You're going to kill you? No, I'm not going to do that. Why does he say, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued. Now he's going to explain it even further. You're from below. This is where y'all from. 
Y'all from here, below, and even further below, not from the devil, you're going to see in just a little bit. But y'all from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Everybody say, I am he. This may seem to be a popular phrase uh, that was used at that time, but the way Jesus used it was as, as a statement of his divinity. Yes, a person could say, I am he, I'm the governor, I am your, you know, your father, so forth and so on, I am he. That could be used as a popular phrase as it is today. But notice the context in which Jesus says, I am he, I am he. Notice this in the Greek, ego am I. The reason why he says it this way is if you do not believe I am he, he now takes the divine prerogative, the only one that can forgive sins. And who is the great I am, the I am he who forgives sins in the Bible? Who is that person? Well, let's go to Exodus chapter 3. It got quiet. You're all like, I don't know. Why does Jesus call himself I am? Why does he say I am he? Why does he put that in the context of the forgiveness of sins? Go down into chapter 3 of verse 4. Notice now, you, uh, chapter 3, verse 4, yes, uh, uh, Moses is meeting with God, and now God is going to give him his name. Go down to verse 7. He sees the misery of the people in is, is, uh, Egypt, and he's going to be their, be their deliverer. He's going to use Moses to do it. Keep going on down. Now God is going to reveal his name because Moses wants to hear. So he says, uh, Moses says, when I go to these people, they're going to want to know who sent me, who's talking to me, which God. Now I'll go down here to verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Does everybody see that? When Jesus says, I am he, who is the he he is referring to? to the Yahweh of the Old Testament. Who do we believe, now I think this is where some of you are getting hung up, who do we believe is actually speaking to Moses? Jesus, in a pre-incarnate state. Why? Because John 1.18 says no one's ever seen the Father. Didn't Moses see God there in the burning bush? But he couldn't have seen the Father because the Bible says no one has seen him and lived. So who must he be seen? The Jesus that is pre-incarnated. Now go back to the context of John chapter 8. Is everybody caught up now? If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Highlight, I am he. So for some of you, like I said, maybe it's glad that I stopped here, you just think it's a popular way of saying a phrase in English, like I am he. In the Greek, it's ego am I. But this is not simply what Jesus is saying. He is not just saying, I'm a guy that just is, you know, a good guy that helps people out. I am he. I'm that guy. I'm a good teacher. I'm a prophet. What context is he saying, I am he? What context is that in? Forgiving you of your sins and giving you life. Can a prophet say your sins be forgiven? But Jesus does. Can a prophet say, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins? <laughs> When, I mean, like, let's just put it like this, because sometimes Muslims try to say, well, all the prophets spoke like Jesus. He's just one of many. Show me one. Show me where Elijah said, I am he, and unless you believe that you're dying in your sins, Elisha. Show me where Enoch talked like that. Show me where Daniel spoke like that. Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, unless you believe I am he, you're dying in your sins. What is the context of I am he? 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who has met with the prophets, who has brought deliverance, who brings forgiveness of sins. Only he can forgive. Only he has the power to grant eternal life. And if you get the he wrong about who he is, that's going to cost you eternity. That's why he says to him, uh, to the Jewish people, unless you believe that I am he, the great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you will die in your sins. Let me just show you one more time in the New Testament. Go to Romans chapter 10, please, verse 9. Who are we declaring as Lord that we may be saved? Like four people understand this? The Romans wrote, come on, shout it out. Who are we declaring? Don't get tired on me. I'm still preaching. Are you shouting? Are you whispering? I said, who are we declaring as Lord to be saved? Jesus, thank you. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord, you, and believe in your heart and that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Now go on to verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the what? The Lord will be saved. Who is the Lord that they're calling on? Go to the, to the context right here. Yep, show them the scripture. Go ahead and click on it so we can see it. I believe it's Joel chapter 2. Yeah, Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Go there quickly. The I am he is Yahweh. The Lord is Yahweh. I am if I tried to say it in Hebrew, I'd butcher it right now, is the base for the word Yahweh. I am he, or I am, self-existing one, is the Hebrew word for Yahweh. It's the root. In Jeremiah, uh, rather, Joel 2.32, Joel says, and everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh. Lord is English. Does everybody get that? Okay. Y-H-W-H, the four consonants that make up the word Yahweh. It's the, it comes from the root I am. Whoever calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. Okay. Go back to Romans chapter 10. If you declare that Jesus is Lord, you shall be what? So if you declare Jesus is landlord... Lord of the manor, like you can get in some of these uh, websites, you can become a lord, you know, send in $5 and you'll become a lord over here in Scotland or something. No, it says, if you declare Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And then it goes on to say, that's Romans chapter 10, verse 9, then it goes on to say in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who is the Lord? Yahweh, Jesus, amen? Going back to John 7. When we look to the scriptures, we see that Jesus Christ is indeed equal with the Father, and he is Yahweh. He is explaining that to those present there. He then tells them, unless you believe that, you will die in your sins. Now notice their response in verse 25. Who are you? <laughs> he just told you. He just told you. Now, I might tease a little bit and say that's, that might be some folks at MPI because I had to go slow through it, and maybe Jesus didn't feel like going slow through it. Sometimes you all get mad at me because I tease you a little bit, but Jesus wasn't messing with it. If you didn't get that, Jesus moved on. How many are glad there's now teachers sent? Amen. How many know we just want to spend some time with you? But how many know they're getting enough to know the right from wrong right now, and they're getting enough to know his identity? Oh, he is the I am he. The one that forgives sin. Okay, Pharisee, why don't you look up who forgives sin in our Old Testament? Oh, it's Yahweh, the great I am. And he just said, I am he. Guess what? They're going to get it later on. But then what are they going to do with that revelation? Bow down and worship him? No, want to pick up stones to stone him for blasphemy. Because then they finally get it. At the end of chapter 8, they finally get Oh, you're claiming to be Yahweh. Okay, get stones now. Who are you? 
Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Don't you tell me Jesus wasn't sassy. Who are you? Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Am I talking to myself here? Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you. Well, I thought Jesus wasn't going to judge anybody. He wasn't going to do it there, but there was a time that he had a lot to say, and he was going to say it. Remember, just scroll up. Make sure you don't see the, make sure you see the resolution to a possible contradiction. Verse 15, I pass judgment on no one. And then later on, he says, I have much to say in judgment of you. Contradiction or compliment. How do you know the difference between contradiction or compliment? You know the context. The context of you judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one, means here on earth the Son is not judging. Just as, as, as Tina said, he has come to save, not to condemn. That's John 3, 17 after John 3, 16. Amen? But what is the judgment that he is talking about further down in the context? In verse 26, I have much to say in judgment of you. That's the final judgment after he's been crucified, buried, and raised, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father coming back to judge the world. Amen? And then he'll have much to say in judgment of them. But he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. So the father got to turn on the spout of how much uh, of the glory would come out. The father dictated from the spout of Jesus how much glory would come out. So the father's like, just give him this. Just tell him these things. That's enough. That's enough. And so Jesus was perfectly obedient to that. He said, what I hear from him, I have told the world. Verse 27, they did not understand that he was telling them about his father. Then Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. I am that one, the great I am, the Yahweh of the Bible, and do nothing on my own but speak just what my Father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. Even as He spoke, what does it say here? Many believed in Him. Hallelujah. How many believe Him today? Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Some of those that believed in him right there, as you go into the next part of chapter 8, are going to want to kill him. Some of those that were shouting Hosanna as he came into Jerusalem were the same ones shouting crucify him when he was on trial. Aren't we fickle sometimes as human beings? What can we learn from this lesson today? Jesus is the light of the world. Don't be fickle. Don't come in and out of Christianity. If you have doubts, can I tell you what to do with your doubts? Doubt your doubts. Study your doubts until they become doubts no more. Don't just take a doubt as a truth. Doubt your doubts. Study your doubts. Is there a truth that your doubts are leading you to? Or are they just bringing you down to other doubts that lead to emotional despair? I could doubt everything right now. I could doubt whether or not you love me. And then I could become so insecure that I wouldn't believe you if you told me a hundred times. And then I could doubt whether or not I'm good at this. I could have imposter syndrome. And then you could say, no matter how good you are, you, you could tell me how good I am, I wouldn't believe you. And you see, you could become so captivated by those doubts that doubts become reality. Doubts are not reality. They can lead to reality. Questions can lead to, but questions are not reality. Questioning gravity is not gravity. Hello? Doubting how it works doesn't make gravity more real or not. So when you have doubts, doubt them. Test them. Study them. And then if there is evidence, follow where it leads. Faith is never blind. Faith is in the person and the character of Jesus Christ. 
People call it blind faith. I call it wishing. That's not the Bible faith. The Bible faith is not make-believe, nor is it blind. It says that those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I am not placing faith in faith itself. I am placing faith in he who is and shall always be for he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe he is a good God and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you find yourself in the place of the Jews, uh, in, in this context, doubting who he is, you don't see his light clearly. Study. Seek after him. Ask of him, and you will receive and find. And that which seems cloudy and dim will begin to become brighter in the full light of day. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. One more time. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth thank you will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace before we dismiss i just want to share this with everyone here if you don't know jesus yet Accept him as your Lord and Savior. As we talked about today, the I am he who forgives sins. The I am he that is self-existing. The one that has come for you to redeem you, to change you, to save you, to make you new. Confess that. But then to my brothers and sisters, all here who already know and confess Christ, please don't take Jesus as the light of the world lightly. Don't take him as the light lightly. Let the light burn brightly. Don't take Jesus as the light lightly, but let his light burn brightly. Just the last few moments that I have, through my different times of mental anguish, feeling that I was in a pit of some kind, a despair, discouragement, doubt seems to all come at once. When it rains, it pours, as the old timers used to say. His light was there. I speak from experience. Emotional distress, times of uh, great anxiety or fear of the future, his light was still there. I remember coming here during the times of COVID and they were threatening to burn down the building and all these things were happening and they had my home address. I, I, you know, I'm just telling you from my personal experience, I was afraid at many different parts of that. And yet when I would quiet my spirit in the presence of the Lord, I could see the light shining. I, I, I wish maybe I had more goosebumps. I wish I had, you know, more of those churchy feelings. But when I sought him, I found him. I found him right where he said he would be. Standing next to me, fourth one in the fire, burning brightly. And so now I'm not saying I'm above uh, feeling those things. But the last two years, I have felt 
more closer to the Lord than I ever have before because I know if he can be with me in those times, he can surely be with me in these times. Some of us are asking for a closer relationship with the light of the world, and yet you're not allowing him to bring you through the darkness. And so you get in the darkness and you're afraid and you're not looking for Jesus. You're not looking for his presence. You're not seeking him out. Just the darkness itself makes you afraid. And I want to encourage you today to seek him out. He shines ever so bright in those times. And your confessions, though you want to bear your heart to God, I get it. You want to tell him of your troubles. Your confessions should be of his nature and of who he is. Notice David in the time of great struggle and great anguish. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me. Sometimes your, your soul is all awry and out of, out of tune. He maketh me lie down. Lie down in green pastures. Sometimes I've had to take my anxious children and lie them down. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. Do you hear any doubt in any of this? But how many know there was probably the feelings of doubt all around him? So what is he saying? Is he speaking doubt or is he speaking faith? He's speaking faith. Is he denying the doubt? Is he denying the issues? Is he denying the problems? No, but he's speaking the faith. And yea, though, oh, he leads me a pass of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Don't you think there was evil around him? There probably was. But he's saying, I won't fear it. I won't be afraid. But you're shaking, David. I'm not afraid Jesus is with me. You look scared. My looks will change in just a moment. I'm about ready to be as bold as a lion. Come on. I love what Joyce Meyer said. Even if you're afraid, do it afraid in Jesus' name. Don't wait for the feeling of fear to leave, to step out of the boat. We'll do something with Jesus. His light is there. Amen. Father, thank you for this wonderful service. We pray as we get ready to dismiss that you encourage us and empower us to live for you. May we not walk in darkness, but in your perfect light. May any that are here that are not saved, may they come to salvation and receive prayer today. Others who need encouragement to shine brighter, may they also come. And Lord, may we all leave here empowered to go from glory to glory to glory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand up to your feet? Come on, give them a good shout of praise. Somebody.